with us hopefully after Thanksgiving break. But why don't you stand up this morning?
Ezekiel 38 says this, God says, and so I will show my greatness and my holiness, and I will make myself known in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord, the famous one. Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, is the one that transcends culture, transcends country, transcends anything anything that comes in our life, the Lord is going to be the one that's famous. Why? Because He is a holy God. Will you sing this with us?
Let's pray. Jesus, as we gather in this room and worship you this morning, God, you have numbered every hair on every head of every person in this room. God, you, according to your word, have thought of each of us today as many times as there are grains of sand on the ocean shore. And God, we rejoice in the fact this morning that you never leave us and never forsake us. And so, God, as we are here today, there are plenty of people that have uh, burdens on their heart and on their shoulders this morning that have gotten bad news about a loved one or a friend. God, they, they've found themselves struggling to finish this semester strong. And, and God, there are many, many different kinds of unimaginable little stresses and worries and troubles happening in so many lives today. And God, I pray that they will be encouraged that you are on your throne, that you are king of kings, and that you have numbered the hairs on their head. And God, we pray that you would do a work in this uh, convocation this morning that is so distinct and so powerful that we would have to just point at the end and say, God did that. And we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Seed, I want to welcome you this morning. This is a, uh, a special day in Liberty's uh, history. It's actually our only second year in a row doing a church planting conference on campus. Now, church planting was um, one of the practical ways that Liberty decided in its founding to affect culture and to change a nation. In fact, you can go, as I've been to many churches all across the country, and in about every prominent church in the nation, a church that loves God, loves people, and honors the Word of God, somewhere in that church is a Liberty University staff member. And so what we're doing today through Friday is celebrating church planting and giving you opportunities uh, to learn about it. So today, I want you to welcome with me uh, the representatives that are here from 20 different states. If they want to stand up and you guys give them a warm welcome. Uh, Here's why they've come here. They're going to be at tables uh, in the back hallway of DeMoss Hall all until Friday. Uh, they have internship opportunities literally all over the nation. Some of them are paid internships. Some of them are a next step towards church planning. However, if you're very serious about planning a church one day when you graduate from Liberty and even starting that process now, there's going to be a special event on Friday evening at 5.30 p.m. in the Power Source Room. Now, to sign up, you have to RSVP. You can email churchplanning at liberty.edu. They're going to give you dinner, and it'll go to about 10.30 that night. It's going to be um, a, a just in a few hours everything you need to know to uh, one day go and plant a church. So, so that's what's happening special uh, today through Friday. By the way, Campus Church tonight is in Thomas Road. It's our last baptism service of the semester. We've had to add another one. We've baptized over 100 you know, of our community. So we're baptizing tonight. Dr. Canner uh, will be speaking. Now next Wednesday is something unique. Every fall we do a communion service. And so next Wednesday will be the fall communion service. It's not going to be in Thomas Road or in Vine Center. It'll be in Schilling. It's a walkthrough service, which you can go to the splash page to get more information on that. So uh, those are some of the things uh, that are happening all over campus. As always, you can go to the splash page, find out more. Oh, and there's one more. I forgot to tell you. Um, the Helm School of Government, uh, beginning this Friday, 
Uh, and the first Friday of every month is going to sponsor a day of fasting and prayer for our nation. And so what they're encouraging you to do, along with campus pastors here, is maybe fast a meal and go to the prayer chapel or to the prayer room in the Office of Student Leadership or one of the grassy places around campus and spend some time praying for your nation. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says, The heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord, and he directs it like a water course. And so we're going to do our part in praying for our nation beginning the first Friday of every month with the Helm School of Government. Now you're 90 seconds. It's time for a video tour of happenings on the Liberty University campus. Around Liberty in 90 seconds. The School of Aviation won its fourth consecutive National Intercollegiate Flying Association Region 10 competition this past weekend. The event was hosted by Liberty at Lynchburg Municipal Airport. The team competed in precision flying techniques, instrument tests, and precision landings. Liberty now advances to the national competition in St. Louis, Missouri. The team was coached by Jonathan Washburn and captained by Josh Statlander and Eric Carter. The Liberty University School of Law on Wednesday aided in the preparation of a major free speech case to be argued before the United States Supreme Court. Jay Sekulow, chief counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice, presented arguments before a panel of nine law professors and constitutional attorneys. The moot court session was held in the law school's Supreme Classroom. The Pleasant Grove City versus Summum case is scheduled for November. The New Balance Big South Cross Country Men and Women's Championships were held at Liberty this past weekend. Liberty, hosting the event for the first time, captured its fourth consecutive men's championship and its first conference title of 2008. Sam Shalonga won the 8K race and earned all Big South honors, while Rebecca Ricksecker's runner-up finish in the women's 5K helped the Lady Flames to a second-place finish. In other news, thousands of Liberty students, faculty, and staff headed to the polls to vote in Tuesday's national elections. The university provided bus service to the polling places, allowing the enthusiastic students the opportunity to exercise their right to vote, many for the first time. And finally, the first annual Seminary Law School Turkey Bowl charity flag football game was played on Saturday with the Seminary winning 32-19. to the seminary team was led by Dr. Ergen Kanner, and the law school was captained by Dean Matt Staver. The seminary jumped out to a two-touchdown lead in the first half and held off the law school in the second half. The Turkey Bowl raised $700 for the Liberty Godparent home, while Ergen Kanner and the seminary won bragging rights. And you were mocking Cheeto Power? Are you kidding me? All this. Trust in you to 
Take it out of my hands, put it into my heart, and take whatever I am and make me more like you are. And show me how I should play when I don't understand. Oh Lord, take it out of received messages from a lot of you after last night. Many of you were telling me you were discouraged and, and down about the results, but God is still in control. We have lots of... We have there was lots of good news for social conservatives, for Christian conservatives last night. In Florida, the Marriage Protection Amendment passed 62 to 37. In California, the marriage amendment will pass. It's up 52% right now. In Arizona, the marriage amendment won 56 to 43. Homosexual adoption was banned in Arkansas with 73. Americans are still conservative on the social issues, and the only time the candidates lose is when they turn their backs on Christian conservatives. And that's 
what happened in, 19, in the 1990s after so many conservatives were swept into Congress in 1994. They forgot who put them there. Under George Bush, even his policies, though, even though he did appoint good Supreme Court justices, social conservatives just didn't feel the affinity, the affinity with the candidates this time. And I really believe that what you'll see is similar to what happened in the 1970s. When I came to Liberty in 1980, I was talking to a graduate, uh, Mark Lowry, who was a, a Christian comedian. He went on to become a Christian comedian, but he was telling me about how in 1976, when it was his first semester at Liberty, and he remembered the chapel right after Jimmy Carter had been elected. He said all the students were walking around with their heads low and kind of down. But he said, my father got up and told them to not to lose hope that God was not finished with America. And I believe that's true in this, this decade as well. We, he said, if I'd only known how right your father was, four years later, the Reagan revolution began. And God has the big picture in mind. We, we, uh, we saw that the Republicans held on to 44 seats in the Senate, so there's not any way that the leadership in the Congress can throw out all our Christian values and take us in the wrong direction. We still have that ability to, to keep things. The checks and balances are still in place. But I'll tell you who the real winner was yesterday. It was Liberty University. You, the, whole, the whole nation took notice of how this student body was concerned about their future. They got out and voted. You had a day off. You could have gone and hiked in the mountains or something, but instead you went over there and stood in line. And Lynchburg went for McCain because of Liberty University. And what the significance of that is that Liberty University can never be a second-class citizen, never, never be treated like a second-class citizen in the city of Lynchburg again. The local leadership, to get elected, they're going to have to take care of the needs of you, the student body of Liberty University. And that's important for a lot of reasons that we'll talk about in the future. So we, um, we're proud of you. We're proud of what you did. We really believe that America is still, we're, we're excited about these, these referendums on the marriage amendment and the and the uh, homosexual adoption, and we think it's a sign that the America hasn't moved in the wrong direction. It's just the party that we supported didn't, didn't support us. And we, we um, thank you for all that you did, and, and we, we look forward to a bright future. I really believe that with the, the interest in being involved that I see in this student body, that the next generation of leaders who will stay true to their Christian principles will come from this university. And Bob McEwen, Bob McEwen and Newt Gingrich and several others are already working on building leadership institutes to train college-age young people to what it, what it takes to get out and become the, the leadership of the next generation. Those students in our law school that are setting records with their bar passage rates, that you guys will be the next generation of leadership, and I know that you won't let us down like others have, and we are proud to be associated with you. Today's speaker is a Liberty University alumnus. Jamie George serves as the founder and lead pastor of the Journey Church in Nashville, Tennessee. 
the Journey Church is frequently named among the nation's most innovative and explosive church plants. While the Journey is a church known for its ingenuity and creativity, it is best known as a place where real people's lives are being changed for the glory of God. Jamie sometimes says that as its lead, lead pastor, he views himself as an architect of culture and a navigator in community. George has been such an architect of culture for more than 20 years as an international speaker, as an actor both on stage and screen, as an author of several books and a DVD series, and as a communicator whose sermons are downloaded weekly all over the world. Jamie is married to Angie. They have four children, twin boys, and two girls. Please welcome back to Liberty, one of our own, Jamie George. One more thing. I, I really, this election's been very divisive, and I appreciate the way that the students, we've had students on both sides of the, of the uh, issues, and I appreciate the way that we've treated, treated each other with respect. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be personal. I know we had some problems last night, but I hope that all that will stop. We're one student body. We can disagree without being disagreeable. Please treat each other with respect, whether you agree with each other or not. I thank you for that. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the introduction. The most important part of the introduction was the last part. Jamie's married to Angie and his four children. I've been married for 16 years, and... Uh, Marriage is hard, I'm just telling you, but it's beautiful, and uh, anybody who tells you it's a cakewalk is lying to you, it's difficult, I met my bride here at Liberty, I'm from New York, she's from Alabama, and that was interesting right from the start, yeah, come on, number one, um, and, uh, but, but I, mean, I feel blessed to be married 16 years to my beautiful wife. I've got twin boys that are 13, uh, a little girl that's nine, and then God surprised us with another little girl who's two. Uh, thanks. It's, uh, wow, I didn't even tell you much about her. Um, the twins, twins are fun. Twin boys are really fun. When they were young, like uh, around preschool, everything's a competition with twins. Uh, so they started losing teeth. And, uh, and Jordan was up two teeth. And uh, he, 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 had, he, he had two more teeth that were out, and Tyler was trying to keep up. And Tyler had this one tooth. He was working like crazy, just trying to get it out. And one day I was gone, and, and Angie wasn't in the room. And so Tyler looked at his brother, Jordan, and he said, Hey, kick me in the face and see if you can knock this tooth out. Now, I'm just saying, if your brother says, kick me in the face, are you going to pass that up? Jordan was like, Okay. Bam! So he jacks him right in the face, knocks the tooth out. I come home, they're telling me the story later. I'm like, well, what happened? And Tyler's like, well, my tooth just went doink and fell in my hand. I'm like, did you cry? No. It's all cool. No blood, no foul. It's so much fun having twins. Uh, my, my, my nine-year-old, a few years ago, especially when she was a little younger, we did this, like, do cheesy parent things. Like, uh, they go to bed at night, and you're trying to, you know, prompt conversation. So I was like, hey, uh, what, you know, we say, like, what's your high point? You know, what's your low point? So I'd be like, Ashton, what's your high point today? Oh, uh, daddy, I don't really want to do a high point. All right, what was your low point? I don't really want to do a low point. Well, you know what? 
Ashton, I said, I think I know what your high point was. You do? I said, yeah, it was seeing your dad. She goes, actually, that was my low point. <laughs> Dang, seven years old. Ouch. My two-year-old, she's really fun. Uh, you know, she's trying to figure out words, and, you know, half the things she says are cuss words, um, which is really fun for her older brothers who are always like, Ashton, or they're, well, not Ashton, my youngest, Addie, Ashton and Addie. Uh, they go, Addie, say sit, say sit all the time. And um, I'm not saying it's right, I'm just admitting that I have 13-year-old boys in my home. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I was asked, how would you like to be introduced? I said, maybe the best way to introduce me is just say, Jamie's jacked up, but thrilled to be here. Uh, I'm a church planner kind of, because our church has grown a lot, and, and so now it's not really a church plant, but I kind of still wish it was, and I got to tell you, uh, there's no way I could stand up here and go, hey, let me tell you about this great formula for church planning, because truthfully, I'm not exactly sure how everything's happened, and um, I feel like God is doing something sweet in the city of Nashville, and for whatever reason, he brought us along for the journey, and uh and I don't know why he chooses to use me, but I'm grateful that he does. And this passage in Scripture has just become incredibly meaningful to me. It's probably one you're familiar with, but I'd like to read it today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I love this idea of salt. That God calls us to be salt in our culture. Uh, salt clearly is a preservative. And I believe that God has called us to be a preservative. We're supposed to be a, be a penicillin of sorts to stem the tide of poison and disease that comes from the world. God's called us to be a preservative. He's called us to holiness. He's called us to allow Jesus to be expressed through our lives. But there's this other thing about salt that I think we miss sometimes in that salt it's full of flavor. I don't know about you, but like if I have a good steak, I just want to put some salt on it, add a little flavor to it. And I think this is something sometimes we miss when we hear this passage, is that we as believers are supposed to add flavor to people's lives. Have you ever walked away from a Christian and thought that didn't leave a good taste in my mouth? But what would it be like to add value to someone's life? What would it be like that because Jesus is in me, in our interaction, somehow, I've added flavor? When Angie and I first felt like God was calling us to plant a church, and we felt like it was Nashville, it was a little surprising, quite honestly. Nashville is more churches per capita than any other city in the country. It didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but we felt like God led us there, and so we did. We moved to Nashville. We didn't know anybody had... I had had a, had a buddy that lived there, uh, one of my good friends from Liberty, actually. He and his wife, and 
And my, my sister and, and her husband, also Liberty grads, they'd moved to town. They said, we, we just believe in the vision for the church plant. So us six Liberty students kind of started this church in our home. It grew to about 14. We had 14 people meeting in our living room after a couple of months. And I remember one night just sitting with Angie and going, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. This is crazy. What are we thinking? We're not going to, we can't start a church from nothing. And she looked at me and go, yeah, but you're the one who said God told us to do this. I know, I think he did, but this doesn't make sense. And in those early days, just going, I don't understand. And one morning I felt like God said, Jamie, get out and, and get out of the house. Go drive and find me. So I did. Started driving around Tennessee, and I found this road called Split Log. Split Log Road. And I just went out for a walk and just felt like God had called me to kind of have a conversation with him. And so I, I, I remember walking out in the woods that day. It was beautiful, much like it is now. It was autumn. And, I, and just going, all right, God, I think you have something to say to me today, but could I lead out? Like, I have a question for you. Just, could we just kind of settle this thing? Why am I in Nashville? Why didn't you send me to Portland or Boston or Brazil? Nashville. Aren't there enough churches here? I don't get this. I go to Starbucks and, like, people are having quiet times. I hate this. Where are the pagans? <laughs> Everybody's talking about church. And I felt like God responded quickly to my question and said, well, first of all, Jamie, you need to get over yourself because you're not that big a deal. And secondly, you, you've asked the wrong question because you've asked, why am I in Nashville? You see, you're not the star of this story. You're just a supporting cast member. This isn't about you. If it's Alaska or, or Boston or whatever, Nashville, you just get, get to be written in. And then he took me to another thought, because you see, most of my life I've wanted to change the world. Like, I want to change the world. I want, I want to do something big for God, man. I want to change the world. And I felt like God said, hey, Jamie. Are you willing to touch the life of someone else who will change the world? And I was like, yeah, but I, like, I kind of wanted to change the world. You know, for you, kind of. You know, change the world for Christ. I just felt like God said, nah, you want to change the world for Jamie. Your ego gets in the way way too much. And truthfully, this is all about whether or not you're valued. All about whether or not you feel good about yourself. Some kind of an approval thing, an identity deal. And quite honestly, you're just not ready. So how about you touch the life of other people? Let them change the world. I got to tell you, in that moment, it was a radical paradigm shift for how I had lived. For so long in my life, I studied, I wanted to be a good leader. I just I want to be a good leader. I want to lead people well. You know, I, 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 I've coached a lot of different teams, and I've taught, and I, I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I want to give people stuff. I want to be a guide, and it flipped everything upside down for me, and I realized, you know what? All these years I spent studying to be a good leader and failing to be a good listener because I didn't usually lead with my ears or listen with my eyes, and sometimes I even fail to love from my soul. Have you ever met people where you're having a conversation with them and you're standing there talking to them, and the whole time you're talking to them, they're like looking past you for the next best conversation? 
Yeah, that's not listening. Some of you, you don't even understand what listening is. You just wait to speak. See, sometimes we think, oh, I've got all this stuff. I'm supposed to be salt. I'm supposed to be the preservative in society. Hi, I'm Jamie. I got something to tell you. But I think we miss a significant portion of this passage when Jesus says, you're the light of the world. You're not supposed to hide this light. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good. Your good deeds, but that they may see your good, that they may see the good in you, and then praise your Father in heaven. You see, light brings warmth. And I don't know, have you ever interacted with somebody who's a Christian, and the truth is, by the time you're done with them, you didn't feel real warm? But like, I'm I'm, I'm supposed to bring warmth into someone's life, that they would see the good in me, and then they'd want to praise Jesus. My son Jordan, we had this moment, uh, it was a few years ago, and uh, we went to a steakhouse, and my parents were in town, they were visiting from out of town, you know, and, and my kids were there, and, you know, my parents aren't in town a lot, so, you know, I, we want to show mom and dad, my kids, they act so good in the restaurant, you know, and this is a steakhouse, and Jordan found some steak knives, and, and he thought he was one of the Ninja Turtles, and he's, you know, flipping the steak knives around, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, Jordan, put the knives down. Just put the knives down. And he was all upset about it. Like, how, like, how dare I ask him to put the knives down? Put the knives down. He puts the knives down. I've, so, how's grandma? You know, talking to my parents. And the next thing you know, he's uh, Raphael. He's got the knives going. He's flipping the knives. Jordan, put the, what is, he's like, hey, would you put the knives down? So, and grandma's good, that's great. And the church back home. And, and now Jordan's got this negative, have you ever been around a kid where like there's this negative energy begins to bubble up around them? And, the, and it's forming on the other side of the table. And it's beginning to permeate the entire restaurant. People are just leaving. Um, and, and there's this negative, and, and, and I'm like, Jordan, put the knives down! He puts his head down on the table. Now I'm a little frustrated. Jordan, lift your head off the table. That's it. Get up. Go in the bathroom. Let's go. Come on. Now. Bathroom. I grew up in one of those homes where my father had this leather thing called a belt. Yeah. My dad thought he was Indiana Jones, and it worked. So, trying to follow in the ways of my dad, we go in the bathroom, and I unbuckle my belt. (laughs) Son, what's the deal with your attitude? And he looks at me, and he's got suddenly, you know, drops his head a little bit, and he's got the... uh, you know, the cat eyes from Shrek look, you know, he looks up like this deal, and I'm like, oh. And he goes, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. And I'm like, oh, no, no, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. No, I man, you like, you ruined the meal. People are leaving. Uh, he goes, Dad. I go, what? Just tell me. What's the deal with your attitude? I don't know. It's just that sometimes... 
the things I want to do, I don't do. And dad, sometimes the things I don't want to do, I do. People are walking in and I'm like, Paul, theologian at the urinal. Uh, I was like, well, yeah, I kind of know what that's like, too. I feel that a lot. Um, threaded my belt back. I took his head, and he was a lot shorter then. I put him in my stomach, and he cried a little bit. And, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering to me in this moment, like, this is a moment, Jamie. You're driving your own agenda here, and you're missing something. So... I do believe strongly that the eyes are the window of the soul. So, you know, so I got down on my knee, and if you've never been in a men's restroom, you don't understand the significance of this moment. <laughs> Sorry. I got that. Was that over the line? Okay. <laughs> I'm working really hard. So, I, uh, I looked into his eyes, you know, and, and, I, and I said, look... I said, you know, I, I'm sorry because uh, the truth is I had a, my attitude was wrong. I was trying to be somebody in front of my own parents, and uh, I was wrong too. And he's like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, I'm sorry too. We walked out of the bathroom old man's. And everybody started coming back to the steakhouse. Um, not really. Uh, but as I walked out of the bathroom, I just felt like the Spirit of God said, you know what, Jamie, be careful, because in this moment, you almost drove your son one step closer to shutting off on his soul, closing out his spirit just because you didn't want to be embarrassed. But in this moment, because of the warmth, your son got to stay just a little bit longer in innocence. I think light is supposed to bring warmth. And clearly from this passage, light is supposed to bring direction. I mean, you guys know, back in those days, a city on a hill was whitewashed, so the moonlight would reflect off of it, and it became a directional point. And what Jesus is saying is, when people interact with you, you should be like a compass in their lives. You, they should be able to find direction through you. But it doesn't come by you stepping into their life and saying, let me direct you. It comes first by allowing them to see the good in you. Allow them to experience God in you. Would you serve them to Jesus? Would you love them to Jesus? And for so long, I think I've been trying to lead people to Jesus. Push them and pull them rather than serve them. I heard a lot when I was young about servant leadership. I really never liked the term. I always thought that was the people that like cleaned the tables at the end of the Wednesday night dinner. And I was like, oh, that's servant leadership, I guess. But see, go back to that, that day for me at Split Log Road. God was saying, Jamie, you, you don't understand something. This is the kingdom under, not the kingdom over. Sometimes... There's this thing about power and position that you're here and you've been called to this special place so you're supposed to lead people. And Jamie, I'm telling you, that you're supposed to serve people. You will lead them, but you'll lead them by serving them. 
Come alongside them. Would you allow them to experience the flavor of me? Would you allow them to experience the warmth of Jesus? And by the credibility of loving them, you will be able to direct their lives. God in his kindness in the last two years of our church has, has brought a lot of people. I didn't know exactly what our church would look like in Nashville, Tennessee, but one thing I've discovered is God has brought us people who have been religiously abused. You even get the sense sometimes that people walk in kind of ducking. Like, hey, I've been whacked before. And this is my first time back in five years. We hear these stories all the time. This is my first time back in five years. We don't, we, ha- we don't have a name on our church. We meet in an old factory that's been refurbished. And there's like all these kind of little creative centers all in this old factory. We meet in the back. It's really hard to find us. We don't do any marketing. Just people say this seems like it's a place of healing. And that's who God's kind of created us to be. Almost a halfway house of sorts. And, and God's brought all these people to the point that we, we, within a very short period of time, had outgrown our space. And when you flip open sometimes the church planting manual, the initial thought is, oh, it's time for two services. This is what you do, right? And we talked as a staff, God, what would you have us do? But we just had this check, like, no. You're not ready. You got a lot of people coming on Sunday, and they're exploring They're discovering what it means to love Jesus again. But, man, if you just blow open the doors, you're just another teaching and worship option in Nashville. And we got plenty of those. But you're supposed to be a place of healing, and you can't heal unless you set systems in place whereby you are a steward of who I have brought to you. And so we we said we're not going to multiple services, and I know we're out of room, but I saw we're just going to have to sit on the floor and... And so for the last year, from last July, really until this past July, uh, from 2007 to 2008, that's just what we did. We tried to put our, our small groups, we call them villages, in place where we could care for people and love people and listen to people's stories, present to them the word of God, allow them to be formed in Christ. And this July, we got to the place where we said, okay, it looks like a lot of the systems are in place. This is great. So uh, do we go to two services now? We just said this check, like, nah. I went to the church and I said, hey, I just want to ask you guys, would you pray and fast with us? Half the church was like, fast? Huh? Well, that means you don't eat. Whoa. Uh, well, okay, let me explain. Uh, and just said to the church, this is so significant. We don't really know where to go next. We feel like with this baby church finding our way, would you pray with us? What would God have us to do? We have this huge value on serving the community. As a matter of fact, if you want to partner with us as a church, the expectation is that you're in a small group where we can care for you and that you serve. It's not optional. You serve in the community. You're a part of justice initiatives in our local community. It's not optional if you want to be part of the church, which, by the way, is a great way to clean people out. A lot of people come and don't stay because they're like, oh, not interested. We just said, you know, it just seems like Jesus says over and over again, it just seems to be a theme in Scripture that we're supposed to take care of those who are widowed, those single moms, those who are orphaned, that we're supposed to love them, care for those who are impoverished. I don't see how we can deny it. That's part of the gospel, and so it's got to be part of who we are. It's infused in our DNA, and so this is who we are. But I'll admit, organizationally, it's been difficult. 
And we lived in that tension. But in August of this year, I asked the church to pray and fast. And that week I got an email from just a person in our church and they just said this, more services or more service. And a lady in our church followed up with that and she said, what's the primary issue for you as in leadership? I said, well, we don't have any more room to invite people into our, our Sunday gathering. She said, well, why don't you kick people out? Well, yeah, what do you have in mind? She said, what if you asked five of your small groups, five villages every Sunday to just not show up and rather than our worship experience being in the church, let it be outside the church? What if your worship expression took place outside the walls and they were serving people and every week, every Sunday, 52 Sundays a year, you just had your small groups not show up for that worship gathering but instead go into the community that you love so much and rather than taking notes on how to serve people, they'd actually do it. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We began to unpack what this would look like, and we began to think about the ramifications. My nine-year-old daughter goes off to college about eight years from now, and she arrives in town, and she says, yeah, I want to go to church, and she introduces herself to somebody in church, and she says, oh, yeah, and by the way, what Sunday do you serve the community? Because it becomes normative. See, some of us, we, if we've grown up in the church, you know, there's certain normative things, right? Like we grew up, so we expect to be in a Bible study or go to Sunday school or whatever that normative thing for us was. What if the next generation, the normative piece for us was like, okay, so when do you serve the community? Isn't that what you do? What if that was just part of the DNA? I'll be the first to tell you, I don't fully understand how it's going to work. It's unbelievably complicated. We've faced massive resistance from the evil one. One of the guys on our leadership team, we've had all kinds of spiritual warfare in the past week. Just Sunday, we had a guy fall from about 20 feet from a ladder, break his face open the same morning. Our worship leader's friend was in a car accident. She was in an accident the night before in a coma. She died that morning. Uh, and I could go on and on. We've had massive spiritual warfare. And one of the guys on our leadership team just said, look, you went and poked a dragon. You just decided to exit the walls and go into the community, the place that Satan calls his own. You went into the villain's lair. And we just said, you know what? We want to start within a one-mile radius of where we've been planted. And this Sunday we begin. We're going to go into some nursing homes. We're going into some impoverished areas. We're going to have a barbecue in one place and just offer free food. And all it is is if somehow, some way, we can show the good, that we can bring warmth, that we can offer light, that we can flavor people's lives and allow them to experience Jesus in us, that they would praise the name of Jesus. Tim Sanders was the um, CSO for Yahoo for a lot of years. He's now a public consultant. He travels around the country, around the world, and he's a, a wonderful speaker. And, and he was traveling, I think it was to Chicago, and he told the story of, of um, well, he was just sharing with the people there, business executives, the significance of adding value to people's lives. And he said, there's two things I want to encourage you to do. Would you just affirm somebody and would you touch them? Well, one of the managers took this to heart. He, lived, he, he worked on maybe the, the, the 50th, 60th floor in a high-rise office building, 
And he did inner office email with hundreds of employees that he'd never even met. And he thought of it th- about this idea of how, how could I add value to people's lives? How could I add warmth? How could, how could I be this light to them? And so um, he said he just randomly picked a guy. I think his name was David. And he went and he found the guy and uh, he walked up to his cubicle, just random guy. And he said, hey, David, I know we've never met. We just talked over email. He put his hand on his shoulder and he said, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you in this company. And, uh, you know, thanks. You know, you kind of keep it light on the email and kind of funny. And I just want to say thanks for, for being in the company. He said, Dave, just draw, just dropped. And he just stared at him and never said a word. And the manager w- walked away and went back. Next morning, manager comes into his office, and on his desk is this disheveled-looking gift wrapped up, and he unwraps the gift, and it's an Xbox. Hmm. It says, thank you, from Dave. So he walks out into the main floor and finds Dave's cubicle and walks up, and he says, Dave, uh, thanks for the Xbox. You know, you didn't really have to do that. And Dave says, well, do you... Do you have a second? He goes, oh, sure. Pulls up a chair, and Dave says, let me tell you a story. I moved to this city about a year ago. I didn't know anybody. I thought it would be cool to live in the big city. But I've been here a year, and I haven't connected with anybody. And pretty much my life is I take the train, I come to work, I work, I take the train, I go home, I eat ramen noodles, I listen to Nirvana, I go to bed. And I do this every day of my life, have almost for the last year. And to be honest with you, last week I felt like I couldn't go on. And about a week ago, I went to a pawn shop and I bought a gun. I've never owned a gun. I don't really even know what to do with it. And so I've been trying to teach myself. And so each night I'd get a little more comfortable with it. And about three nights ago, I loaded it for the first time, put the bolt in the chamber, and I cocked it. Three nights ago, I started to hold it, to feel the weight. And two nights ago, for the first time, I put the muzzle in my mouth so I could feel what it was like with my tongue. And last night, my plan was to go and blow my head off. And then you walked into my cubicle and freaked me out. You, you, you touched my shoulder and you said you appreciated me. And, and I, when you left, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I, when I got home, I ran, I grabbed the gun and went back to the pawn shop. And I said, oh, I don't want this. I don't know why I even have it. And the guy said, well, you can have something. What do you want in exchange? He said, well, I knew you had kids, so I got you an Xbox. Just wanted to say, uh, thanks for stopping by my cubicle. I know we're at a Christian university, and I know probably for most of you, the majority of your relational interactions happen here. But I suspect that there's probably somebody sitting behind you or beside you or in front of you. And they could use some warmth. They need to tell their story. Maybe there just haven't been a lot of people in their lives to listen. A poet that I've read recently said this. Telling our stories cleans out the compost of our soul. I wonder if you know somebody, it would be helpful for them to just speak of their hurt, the difficulty of their life, 
And I wonder what it would be like to just listen and not speak. I wonder what it would be like to just sit back and add flavor, to give warmth, and to serve. I believe the Jesus way is a kingdom under to serve people at their point of need. I wonder what the point of need is in your radius. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Dear Father, it blows me away that I get to call you Dad. Lord, so many times when I when I enter into your presence in an intentional way, like the first thing I feel is guilt because I just see how messed up I am and how how quickly I drift. But Father, I thank you that so quickly when that thought comes to mind, you remind me that I am loved and that I am forgiven and that I am cared for. And Father, that in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my failures, you continue to offer this grace that washes over me. And Father, I thank you that you sit and listen to me. And more than listen to my story, Father, I thank you that you're writing it. God, for these in this room this morning, for some of them, there's great pain. God, I ask that you'd give them a place where they could speak. God, for others in this room, they've been preoccupied for a long time with their own agenda. And God, I ask that you would give them a new awareness and that they would close their mouth and listen. Sometimes maybe just drive through the city of Lynchburg and listen to the needs of people. And Father, that they would go and serve people at their point of need so that we could lead them into a relationship with you, Jesus. And Father, glorify your name. I thank you for this encouragement, this mandate from Scripture. Oh, Father, that we would please you with our lives. That others would experience your warmth. And your incredible flavor. Thank you for being such a creative God. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.